Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Hi, everyone. This is Tony with the Connection Loop podcast. And today we are featuring Vinay Baguette, the founder and CEO of Trust Radius. We're also doing an exclusive for our online action summit. We are so excited to have you and talk about this amazing topic of adapting to today's B2B tech buyer. So I love a little introduction about you. Go ahead and give a bio, kind of how you got to where you're at and tell the viewers about who you are. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I founded my first SaaS company in 1999, uh, which set about to help um, nonprofit organizations use the web for communications and fundraising. Over the course of um, about a dozen years, we grew the company to almost 100 million in revenue, took it public, and were acquired by um, another competitor, a larger competitor in our space. Um, great, great impact, great, Im- great mission, learned a lot along the way, but also um, found in the kind of scaling years of our company that we were struggling to evaluate technology to run our business. In particular, one, one piece of software we bought, um, a complex piece of HR software, we rolled it out to 450 employees and realized it was a poor functional fit for us. And that was for the, uh, really the, the initiation of the idea behind Trust Radius was that um, it's really hard as a buyer of technology to know if you're making a good sound decision. And so that's what led me to start Trust Radius eight years ago. And just in a, in a, in a nutshell, we're a B2B uh, customer review platform. About a million technology buyers use our site each month. They come to us because we have the highest quality content and perspectives from their peers in the industry. They're able to uh, understand the perspectives of a single product, compare products side by side, identify new products they may uh, haven't heard of before, and they're using us really across their, their journey. And then we work with B2B tech brands uh, to help them adapt to how the modern buyer wants to buy today. I uh, love that introduction. And I, I'd love to, for you to speak to you a little bit for any entrepreneurs out there, because it sounds like you've had a lot of experience and you really have a great knowledge about what what you need to do to have a successful tech startup. Um, can you speak to some of the, the hardships, the, the good and the bad that come along with entrepreneurship journey? Yep, um, I have gray hair for a reason. <laughs> it is a roller coaster. Um, you know, I mean, you have to do it because you're passionate, not because you're just you know trying to trying to create wealth. Hopefully, wealth creation is a byproduct of doing the right thing. But you have to be very mission driven, have clarity around what you're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, I think the first thing is is solving a big problem, a meaningful problem that has a large addressable market where there's a a material enough pain point in an industry. Uh, For me, in in both the businesses that I've built, I was sort of early to market building a new category. That's one form of tech entrepreneurship. Another is where you see an established category and you're just trying to do it better than other people. Um, If you're building a new category, you have to have patience because it takes a while. It's a marathon, not a sprint. 
the other key thing is to have the right people on the journey with you. Entrepreneurship is a team sport, not an individual sport. Mm -hmm. And you need to have people who share your values and have and share your vision for the company and, um, you know, do a really uh, phenomenal job of not just onboarding those people, but retaining them and making sure that your values are really clear and your strategy is really, really clear to your whole team. So, you know, many, many lessons along the way, but at a high level, it comes down to picking a high quality idea and having the right people on the journey to pursue that idea with you. Right, I, I absolutely agree with and 100% everything that you said. What's some actionable advice if, if someone's just starting the journey? How do they find that idea? Or how do they test that idea before they even go to market to make sure it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna work basically? Um, well, I mean, the first thing is to make sure you're being market-driven and not just driven by your own point of view. You know, you're, you're, you're a sample of one. If you experience a certain need or a pain, that's great, but you need to market test and validate that, you know, there is a true market need for whatever you're trying to bring to market. So being intellectually honest, going and field testing um, your concepts in some way, either through Field interviews is one approach. So when I was starting my first company, Convio, I literally interviewed hundreds, hundreds of professionals, fundraising professionals in the nonprofit sector to validate that the idea was legitimate. When starting Trust Radius, we actually created a beta site. We didn't raise any money. We bootstrapped for our first year. And we created a beta site and invited a few hundred people to it to understand if we could create value on a small scale by just helping people, you know, support each other to find find ideas. At that point in time, we weren't sure whether we were gonna be able to scale or exactly how we were gonna monetize. But at our core, we believe that if we could solve a problem for technology buyers, there was a business to be built. So kind of orchestrating either a test or an interview process to validate that your idea has legitimacy and that can it can be a big idea one, one day uh, is the key way to start. And just being you know, again, really intellectually honest and listening to the market cues and signals that you're getting. Yeah, oftentimes when I talk to some of my clients and I'd ask them what their idea was and they had you know, everything written down, I said, have you have you gone out and interviewed people or done a survey? And they were like, no. I'm like, how do you know that they're gonna even be interested or this is something that they, that they need? And so I love that you brought that up and especially doing over a hundred, I think it's a really great idea. And also my big mistake was I had this big dream and I think I was thinking so big in the beginning that I didn't think to start small. And that was a great lesson that I learned as well. So, um, and I love, this is gonna kind of transition into what you're doing today and why it's so important to listen to what the customers are saying. Mm -hmm. so, so why are customer reviews so important and how can people take what people are saying and, and help it to, um, increase their sales or drive revenue within their businesses? Yeah, I mean, if you kind of step back and fundamentally answer what does the technology buyer want, um, they want the whole truth, right? They want to they want to have a mechanism to be able to identify the right solution that's going to meet their needs. And they want an expedited evaluation process where they can have confidence that they're spending their time wisely evaluating the right products and they need to have confidence that whatever they buy is gonna meet their needs. And so customer reviews and a platform like ours helps really along all of those dimensions. You know, number one, it's a discovery tool where people can come in if they're looking at a product category and they can research 
which options uh, rise to the top that they may not even be aware of. So there's a discovery aspect to their journey. Um, secondly, it gives them the information they need their product side by side and narrow their shortlist. And then uh, finally make a, a confident selection uh, based upon, again, the voice of their peers. And what, what they're really looking for is, are people like me using this product? People in the same industry, in the same geo, in the same with the same kind of problem or use case as me, and how would they describe the value they're getting? You know, is it does it work well for their use case? What are the limitations? What are the constraints? When people read product reviews, what we've learned from them is that the most important factor to them is the qualitative uh, qualitative commentary about what's actually said about a product. Thirty-eight percent of buyers score the content of the review as its most important attribute. Uh, less than ten percent actually focus in on the score as being the most important attribute because they realize that scores don't tell the whole picture and they can be manipulated. Right. I was going to ask you, how do you validate that the information is, is accurate that's in the reviews? Um, we take a very structured approach. So anyone writing a review actually has to answer eight to 10 questions about the product. Okay. Um, we also make them authenticate through either their corporate email ID or their LinkedIn handle. And then we have um, human beings who read every single review and check every single profile to make sure it's a legitimate profile on LinkedIn and not just a fake one that's been created. Um, and that the review isn't simply plagiarized from elsewhere and, and makes coherent sense. Vendors have a right to dispute every review on our platform if they see something that's illegitimate, but our error rate is really, really small just because of the protocols we have in place. And it's not an easy, um, thing to do to fake a review when you've got to answer eight questions. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're doing a Yelp style review, um, you know, just asking people to give you 30, 40 words, it's easy to fake that. But when you actually have to give something structure that explains how you're using the products, what alternatives did you consider, what ROI you're getting, the barrier for creating a false review is pretty high. Okay, great. I think uh, Ruben had a question there. He wanted to say, how can we incorporate review gathering into the daily workflow? Yeah, great question. So if you have a SaaS product, you can build it directly into the UI. Marketo, when you log into the uh, Marketo application, they have a prompt there and then to um, encourage you to, to write a review. Um, companies have support ticket lines when someone... Um, uh, gets a su successful support ticket resolution and they tell you, you know, how they rate customer support. That's a, you know, an obvious opportunity to daisy chain from that and ask them to then go write a public review. Um, some of the companies we work with use uh, product interstitial tools like Pendo or Braze or WalkMe where they can put prompts in when someone's using the tool, so they're maybe five minutes into a session or they're a regular user that comes back frequently. That's a way of kind of targeting a user um, who's most engaged in order to get them to write a review with a prompt. And um, if you're running, you know, QBRs with your customers, every QBR has a chance to ask for a review. Customers just get renewed. That's a perfect time to ask for a review as well. So you can build it into your workflow either in terms of your engagement through your customer success organization or within the app itself. I love that. That's that's really good. And you can also have it automated, right? So after a purchase or after a certain amount of time, yes. you can have it automatically sent to them as well. Okay, that's great. Okay, um, so what challenges are you seeing right now with, uh, with customer reviews as far as 
what are some things that people could be doing differently? Some best practices that you could recommend for businesses? There's still a mindset shift occurring um, amongst vendors in terms of how important customer reviews are relative to um, legacy channels. Um, analysts today are still an area where vendors spend a great deal of money and a great deal of energy. Now, a lot of younger companies um, can't afford to work with analysts or you know, their products are in new categories that don't fit nicely into you know, a magic quadrant or a wave. So they have been the ones who've been more um, uh, nimble at adapting to alternative methods to influence buyers like customer reviews. But the first thing is really stepping back and understanding what, is, what do your buyers want from you today? 60% um, of today's B2B buyers are millennials. You remember millennials extend up to 39 years of age now. They are wired completely differently. They've grown up with social media. They've grown up with Google search. They've grown up with uh, Yelp uh, and TripAdvisor in their lives. They are just wired fundamentally differently. They want to control their own journey. And that means um, accessing content um, and insights from their peers on their own schedule, not waiting for a vendor to kind of control access to that, to that, uh, to that view. So, you know, first thing first is realizing that this is the new way that buyers are buying and adapting and making sure that you have a coherent strategy. And that coherent strategy means having a critical mass of reviews uh, on the one to two to three venues that buyers visit. There are, you know, it's not a winner takes all market where there's only one venue that people go to. However, you don't need to boil the ocean and go to 10. Pick a couple that makes sense for your audience and for your category. Um, in addition to getting a critical mass, make sure the reviews actually tell your differentiation story. You don't want to just have, you know, lightweight reviews that say, yeah, they're great. I love them or they're terrible. You want to have reviews that are substantive and actually explain the value of your products and how you stand out and differentiate. Because what we hear a lot um, in, uh, from buyers is that brands use very similar messaging. And it's really hard to discern the difference based upon visiting a marketing website. But, you know, the voice of the customer cuts through that. It's believable and trustworthy and helping and helps buyers really discern the difference between products. Um, third, um, don't view this just as a strategy to influence people on third party venues. Leverage that content in your own channels. And if you do so, there are lots and lots of benefits. One, there's an SEO benefit because the content from reviews if syndicated correctly, is crawled by Google and helps your uh, SEO. It helps your on-page engagement. Uh, the cloud team at IBM have found that they've been able to increase engagement on their pages 30% by having our kind of reviews syndicated onto those pages because that's creating interest and trust with their buyers. And then if you use that content in a conversion context, like on a lead form, you can get a 30, 50, 70% improvement in conversion. Veeam, the backup company, seeing a 70% a improvement on lead forms by having authentic review content syndicated to those pages because it's creating trust. When someone's about to start a trial, what do other people think? Are they people like me? Are they people I can relate to? Or is it just a big, you know, a logo from a big brand or a quote from an executive I don't relate to? So that relatability is incredibly important. The other thing to think about is just how do you now have insight into who these buyers are? With more, more and more millennial buyers wanting to complete their research process without engaging sales, 
Um, there, are, you know, there's a there's a there's a dark funnel aspect uh, to the buyer's journey now, where there are a lot of people doing research, but you don't yet know who they are. Now, the more that you can onboard them and get them into a trial of your application, like Dub does, that's wonderful. But there are some products that aren't easily trialable, and so those people are going to be um, researching them in a way uh, that may be opaque to the vendor. And so uh, what review platforms like TrustRadius is intelligence about who those buyers are. So we can tell a company, here are the people who are pre-funnel, who are researching you and about to engage with you, but wouldn't you like to know who those brands are earlier so you can engage them before your competitors do and therefore set the stage and differentiate yourself. We can also tell them, here are the buyers who are researching your competitors, but aren't researching you. Wouldn't you like to have access to those deals and then be able to concentrate your prospecting efforts or your advertising efforts to those people who are in market? The analogy I use is if you've ever watched the Tom Cruise movie, The Minority Report, where they have those kind of alien-like creatures called the precogs who predict crime. We predict pipeline. And so, you know, would you like to would you like to kind of make use of that intelligence? And then you can also use that intelligence to arm your salespeople and your account managers in active deal cycles. So if you're in a deal, oftentimes you might get ghosted or you may not know exactly who you're competing against and whether you're winning or losing. And we can provide the kind of intelligence that helps you inform whether you're uh, competing against a specific competitor who you need to deposition or whether you're losing a deal and you need to kind of try and save it. Also for renewals, giving you an early warning signal when an account looks like they're shopping for competitive products. Or if you're a multi-product company, if they're shopping for products with other vendors in categories that you serve where you could be driving a cross-sell. There's just a lot of value in the intelligence from the buyer behavior on our side as well. Wow, I, that that is very in depth, and I appreciate you going into all that detail because I I think sometimes people don't understand what all can be done with just a, a review. And I I want to ask you a question. I'm sure that people are dying to know though. What happens when you get a bad review, and it, it may be accurate? Can you kind of explain or walk someone through what the protocol would be to to mediate that or. Uh, you know, make sure that their audience isn't just fixating on that particular bad review? Yeah, I mean, um, number one, bad reviews are essential. If you only have glowing reviews, people don't trust you, right? Mm -hmm. um, just this morning, we got a guy from the UK, um, you know, saying, I'm, I'm struggling to find negative reviews about this particular Microsoft product. And uh, turns out he wasn't, you know, using the filters on our site correctly because we have some critical reviews. But if people don't see critical reviews, um, they don't trust the content, right? It doesn't, it just doesn't stand the sniff test. So the absence of negative feedback means that people don't trust the content and your buying cycles are either going to elongate or not happen because people don't feel like they're hearing the whole picture. They need to understand the cons as well as the pros to proceed. Now, in terms of how you engage when you've got a negative review, you need to comment on it, you know, just like you might have a positive review too. What we've learned in the travel space on TripAdvisor is that hotel brands that comment um, uh, religiously on their critical reviews actually do well because you're signaling 
not just to the customer that you're listening to them and you're acknowledging their feedback and you're maybe going to triage it and help them, um, but more importantly to everyone that's reading that review that you're a brand who cares. Just like in the hotel space, there may be um, uh, you know, a reason why there's a negative review. Maybe there was a party or maybe there was something that was more temporary in nature. Sometimes we're going to sell people who are a bad fit for our use case and that is an anomaly or maybe they had a configuration issue or a training or enablement issue. So the first thing you need to do is obviously talk to that customer and triage them and make sure that they are on a better path of success. Or if they're a non-fit customer, just acknowledge that they're a poor fit and move on. And then you need to comment on the review and show publicly to the world why uh, what you're doing about that and, and why that may be a bad fit. It also speaks to having a critical mass of reviews such that you don't get overly dragged down by a handful of negative sentiment when there may be a lot more positive and um, you know neutral sentiment as well that's important to uh, to get forth. The other thing I would say is that you know in-depth reviews, not shallow reviews, are a source of intelligence for your company to build a better product. Um, one of the execs that we work with at Cisco told us that we had become his most valuable source of customer insights, more so than focus groups and NPS surveys because we were driving thousands of reviews at scale and those reviews were three, four, five hundred words, you know, well beyond a simple NPS survey. So in, a different, in addition to how it works with your kind of public reputation and creating a, you know, usable quotes for sales and marketing, the insights you get from a product marketing perspective, from a, from a pricing perspective, from a product feedback perspective can be invaluable as well. I, I want to thank you. I want to touch on something that you said as far as a brand that cares. Because I, I view a review and, and anyone that comments back on it as customer service. And so when you're, I, we could give some advice to the people hiring, the, the type of person, the personality, the type of people skills that it takes to engage in, in these conversations. They can't be cold. They can't be, uh, you know, just very technical. Like, you know, can you give some advice to that? Um. Yeah, I mean, the best comments on our side are non-defensive. They acknowledge the problem. Right. Uh, you know, again, if you're defensive, then it, it, it comes through in, in your writing. Two, uh, they're sufficiently detailed and technical to the respondent to actually show that you actually understood their problem versus just giving a platitude, right, which doesn't right. mean anything. And then oftentimes it could be, you know, also come to say we will – will take this conversation offline and, and triage your situation. So there needs to be clarity on what they're going to do with that feedback as well. But again, remember you're writing for two audiences. You're writing for the person who's written a negative review and who's soured. And so you, there's a degree of like privately dealing with that discontent, but also acknowledging that discontent in a public forum, which is important, signaling to them that you've heard them, that you've understood their feedback and you're going to do something about it. And then there's a communication to the rest of the world that's reading the review to say, you know, perhaps there was a training issue or a configuration issue or, yes, you have an outlier use case. So, again, there needs to be a degree of substance uh, to the feedback as well. It just can't be a platitude or, you know, or, a, you know, we'll contact you offline. It has to have a bit of um, reflection upon what was said in the review. Right. So empathy towards the problem and, and kind of showing that they're going to resolve it and then following up on that. So I usually that's one of the things I usually say see for bad reviews is they, they try to contact someone multiple times. They never heard back. So making sure that there's the follow up on 
the, the back end as far as after you've made the comment. Okay, great. Okay, there's one actionable piece of advice that you can give anyone with regards to the customer voice, the buyer's journey. What would that be to, to leave our audience with? It's your number one strategic weapon. If you've built a good product that your customers like, what are you doing to, um, to weaponize the voice of the customer? So put the appropriate focus and attention on it that it deserves. And customer reviews just happens to be a very authentic, public and scalable approach to driving that kind of customer testimony. But don't just think about it as a strategy for um, your, your search presence on Google and your presence on a site like Trustradius. Think about how you're gonna weaponize that customer voice in your own channels to improve conversion. Wouldn't you like that 70% improvement in lead form conversion that, that Veeam is getting? Um, wouldn't you like you know that engagement and SEO value that a brand like IBM is getting from, from that content? So put the appropriate priority of it um, and realize that this is how your modern B2B buyer wants to buy today. Again, they want access to be able to touch your product through trials and demos, and they want the candid voice of their peers. They don't want marketing, they want straight talk. Right, I love that. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. And where can people find you? Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn, um, uh, or if you have a direct question, feel free to email me at vinay at trustradius.com. Thank you so much, Vinay. You have a wonderful day. This is Tony with the Connection Loop Podcast. Thank you, Tony. Thank you.